So we're going to talk this morning about hope. And it's very appropriate because as we, as we end 2017 and we look at 2018, it's a great time for reflecting back. And as Pastor Kurt mentioned to you, to look back on the things that God has done for you this year. That's a very scriptural thing to do. It's a very wise thing to do, not just at the end of any year, but I do it regularly. Go back over the things God has done for me because it builds faith and confidence that the same God that's done those things for all these years is going to do the same kinds of things for us going forward. But when we look back, there's a big difference in looking back than there is forward because when you look back, you know what, what happened in 2017. And for some of you, you look back and say, wow, God did some great things for me in 2017. For others, you look back and say, oh, am I glad this year is over. <laughs> and I hope next year is going to be better. So when you look back, we can look back and we can, we can be thankful for the things God's done for us. We can look at the struggles we've gone through and the things that have been overcome. But we know what happened when you look back. But the problem when you face a new year is we have no idea what this new year brings. So we're looking from December 31st, 2017 to tonight at midnight, we change the calendar over to a brand new year. And we have no idea what's in store for us this year. So it's important, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, it's important that going into this year, we have a f- strong hope and know what that hope is based in. We're facing a time right now, <clears throat> well, I want to pray, and then we'll get into, into the message. Father, again, we thank you for your incredible, amazing, overwhelming faithfulness to bring us through this year. Father, there are people here that have gone through physical challenges and are still facing them, perhaps, but they're still here, and so there's still hope. We thank you, Father, for the financial things you brought us through. We thank you, Father, for the the family issues you brought us through. We thank you, Father, that we're just still here and we're still serving you. And so we thank you, Father. And now as we prepare to turn the page of the calendar, to to open a new calendar and and to begin a brand new year, we have no idea what that has in store for us. But what we know is the God we serve, what we know is the God who loves us beyond anything we can imagine, what we know is the God who's proven His love over and over and over again, we know that that God who loves us knows the future, knows what's coming. And because you love us, It's your desire and your will to prepare us for what is to come and that we may be overcomers. Whatever comes down this road this year, that your church will overcome it and we will continue to do your will. And we thank you for that. So as we turn to your word right now, we're asking the God of all hope, the God of all hope, to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. So, Father, take the word we're going to look at under the anointing of your Spirit and breathe hope, godly hope, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're talking about looking forward to the year that, that we're facing as a, as a church, the year we're facing as families, the year this nation is facing. And if you look out into the world, the world is as turbulent as it's ever been. And we look at, at, at and we have more access to the information now. We have a crazy man in North Korea 
who we don't know what he's likely to do in 2018. We have other crazy leaders around the world. We have a, a, a group of crazy radicals in the Mideast who've sworn to destroy everything that's not radical Islam. And we see all these threats within our own nation. There's division, political division. There's a racial division still. There's all this division. So as we look in the world that's around us, if we try to look out there to find hope, it's going to be a hard thing to look at. So we want to talk this morning about where the hope is that we're to base our life on. What is the hope that God tells us to base our life on? So when we're facing the unknown and threats, the question is, what do we do to, to build us the foundation for our strength and our peace going into 2018? Many of it this time of year, they, they try to get peace by resolutions. I saw some ad the other day about an app you can get on your phone to help you keep your resolutions. One of my resolutions is to not put so many apps on my phone. <laughs> Why? Because it's a time of year when people try to get strengthen themselves and get assurance by, by renewing their... That's what a resolution is just, I'm going to renew my, my, my determination myself. So a lot of them come out of this season of overeating, this season of indulgence, and, and try to overcome the guilt by resolutions. And so they try to look for, my hope is that somehow I'm going to be able to change, lose weight. My hope is that somehow I'm going to be able to change things because I'm more determined now than I was last year. But the problem is that doesn't last long. Because anything that's based, any hope that's based in my own strength is going to wear out very quickly. And many of you know what, what I'm talking about. Many try to handle the uncertainties of the future by denial, by just pretending it's not there. Uh, there was a, a woman, she doesn't go here anymore, they, she's moved, moved on, but she came to me one time years ago, was in a terrible financial situation. I mean, they're about to take, her, uh, take everything away from her, and I said, how did you get to this place? I didn't you know this was coming? And she said, well, whenever I would get a bill that I didn't like, I'd just put it in a drawer and never open it, except to put another bill I didn't want in the drawer. I was teaching the class that I teach on, spirit, on um, uh, uh, public speaking here, and I, I, I taught them about, about the, the ostrich's way of handling stress and defeat. You know what an ostrich does? He sticks his head in the sand. That's about as stupid as you can get. Because the only thing you've hidden is, the, is your eyes that can see the trouble coming and the most vulnerable part of you sticking up there for your enemy to, to shoot. But when we deny things, that's what we're doing. And so the world only has these methods to deal with the uncertainties. Sometimes people try to overbuild hope by losing their flesh in things like drugs or alcohol. Those are just ways of denying the reality of what's coming. And so the reality of 2018 is we don't know what's going to happen. How do we prepare for the unknown? How do we prepare for the unknown? Because if we don't prepare for it, there's an enemy out there who wants to prepare you for it. Now the Bible does give us a way to have stability and strength in the unknown of 2018. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Say, that's the love chapter. That's right. But there's more in this chapter than just love. 1 Corinthians 13.
We're going to pick up in verse 12. Now what's happened here is, I don't want to get bogged down too much in this, but Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth where there was an excess of spiritual gifts. That's not the right way to put it. It's not that there was an excess of spiritual gifts. They were all being done in the flesh. And Paul is correcting them. And in the middle of this correction, he writes this chapter on love. Basically saying, and this applies to everything we do for God, that whatever's not motivated by love, in God's eyes, counts nothing. If you give everything you have away, and you don't do it out of love, it counts as nothing. If your faith develops to the point that you can speak to mountains and call them to be cast into the sea and they obey you, but it's not done out of love, it, it, it amounts to nothing. If you make the complete ultimate sacrifice of your life, but it's not done out of love, it counts as nothing. So God, He's teaching them about love, about the heart and nature of God. But He's, he's talking in the context of these spiritual gifts. And then what He says is there's going to come a time when these spiritual gifts fade away because they're no longer needed. I don't have time to get into why He's talking about that. And then He says this. This is where He gets to this. He for, so for now, He's talking about spiritual things, we see in a mirror dimly. What he's saying here is, is now spiritual things, we can kind of see them, but, but we're, looking through, we're looking through a glass that's, fo- that's foggy. Sometimes when I get up and, and I, you know, I take my shower in the morning, and, and if I haven't turned the vent fan on, I get out of the shower and I go to shave and the mirror's all foggy. And I've realized that's a dangerous time to be putting a razor to my face <laughs> when I can't see clearly. So I've got to wipe it off or put a hair dryer on it or somehow get rid of it. But what happens in the process of that, of that fog fading away from it is I'll begin to be able to see my face somewhat, but I can't see it as clearly as when it's all gone. And so what Paul is saying is while we're in this earth, while we're wearing flesh, spiritual things will look seeing the same way you see your face through a foggy mirror. You can see some of it, but we're not seeing everything clearly yet. And we won't see that until He comes back for us. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when Christ comes back, we'll see Him face to face. And we'll know Him as He is. That's what First John says. For now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. What's that mean? God knows you perfectly. God sees everything about you. God doesn't see you through a glass dimly, but we see Him that way. And when Christ comes back, we're going to see Him as He is, as He already sees us. That's what that's saying. Verse 13. Now abide... Now He's saying, while we're in this state of uncertainty, basically, of not seeing clearly, these things, everything else is going to pass away, but these things are going to remain. Three things. Faith, hope, and love. These three. So when everything passes away, when the gifts of the Spirit pass away, when Christ comes back for us, what's going to remain is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We hear a lot about faith. We hear a lot about love. But we don't hear a lot about hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because hope is absolutely essential to faith and love. They all are tied together like a three-chord thread. And so we're going to begin to look at, at what, what at hope. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, 
your faith has nothing to believe for. And so, we're going, again, we're going to look at hope. So what is hope? Let's talk about that first so we make sure we're all talking about the same thing. In our, in our everyday language, and our everyday uh, vernacular, the word hope is used a lot. But it doesn't mean what the Bible means by hope. Hope in this world generally means wishing. So are the Patriots going to win today? I hope so. Oh, well, whoever you hope is going to win. Okay. And that, but that doesn't mean, that means, you know, that's my wish. If, you know, we have wishes and things we desire to happen in 2018. So hope to the world is just kind of wishing for, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. But the Bible's word for hope means something very different. It means a confident, a confident expectation. Put it another way, and I've heard a teacher share it this way, and I I like this. Hope is a positive imagination. It's seeing things that you can't see yet inside that are positive. It's a positive imagination. So positive that you, you, you have confidence it's going to happen. And then your faith attaches to that confidence, and that's what causes things to change. So hope is essential. Without hope, you can't exist. And what happens, therefore, because Satan knows that, is what he comes after is our hope. We know he comes after faith. We know he comes after other things. But what he's, but the subtle thing he comes after is to steal your hope. Because if he can steal your hope, everything else shuts down. You may have faith, but it's going to shut down because you have nothing to believe for because you don't believe anything's ever going to change. And that's one of his things. He'll have you point you out, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, this didn't happen. You're believing God for this and 13 people you know over here died doing that and he's trying to steal your hope. Because it's like having a hair dryer and then you... Or, or, or I've used this example before. It's like the, the vacuum cleaner and you're going off after this, this thing over here in the corner and you go too far and suddenly it goes out. The vacuum cleaner has all the potential for sucking up that dirt and dust but you've gone so far you've unplugged it from the source of power. And when you lose your hope it's like that. Your faith, the word you've known may be in you but when your faith is gone or it's struggling you don't exercise it. Why should I do it? What's the use? It's never worked before. It's never going to work now. What's the use? And that's the devil's subtle way of shutting you down and he's trying to steal your hope. Now I've taught you, I haven't mentioned this in quite a while, but I've taught you for years that, that, that the devil is a deceiver. And, and to bring it into, into more modern uh, parlance, he's a con artist. Jesus said, the devil is a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. And there's no, he's the father of lies, and there's no truth in him. But he'll use the truth to steal from you. But he's not speaking truth. He's using truth as a device to steal from you. And I use that example as like a pickpocket. A pickpocket doesn't come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, would you please pull your coat back because I would like to take your wallet. Because if you even know there's pickpockets around, you'll be more careful and more alert. What does a pickpocket do? He'll bump into you in one area to get your attention there so he can steal what he wants to steal from over here. 
So when I'm out in a crowd and I become aware that there may be pickpockets around me, what do I do? I keep my hand in my pocket touching my wallet because I know what he's after. So if somebody bumps into me, I don't go like this, I go like this because I know what the pickpocket's after. In the same way, if you're forearmed and know what Satan's after, because he doesn't come up to you and say, look, I'd like to steal your hope. He tries to present a case to you so you'll, he can't steal it from you. He talks you into letting go of it. So if you know what he's after, if you know why it's essential, then you'll know what you need to do to keep it alive. And so we're talking about that today great example of that and how he works. I don't have time today to get into it. It's a great teaching. I've done it before. It's something I used to teach in school of ministry in one of the sex parts on blood covenant. And there's a story in, 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 uh, in 2 Kings where a godly king, Hezekiah, is the king of, Israel, of Judah at the time. And Israel's prospering. And, and, and Sennacherib, who was an Assyrian king, wants to conquer them. And he's conquered everybody else around but, but, Israel, but Judah. And so he sends his, 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 his general down, his, his name is Rabshakeh, how'd you like that name? Rabshakeh, and what he does, because there's fortifications around, around Jerusalem, is he stands there and he talks to the guards on the, on the wall of the city. And he starts telling them, he says, your, your confidence, your confidence is in Hezekiah. But Hezekiah's never dealt with me before. He says, Hezekiah's telling you to put your confidence in God. He says, but here's the list of all the cities we've already captured, and they were trusting in their gods. Why do you think it's going to be any different from you? Now notice who he's talking to. He talks to the guards of the city. Because if he can get the guards of the city to, to doubt and to lay down their arms, then he's going to be able to capture the city. So, in, in fact, one of the things that they used to do in battle is they would, they would carry banners of all the cities and nations they'd already conquered. So they're trying to show you, I'm go- why are you any different than your neighbor over here that we destroyed and the people back there that were bigger than you that we destroyed? That's the same ploy he uses today. Why do you think you're going to be healed? So-and-so over here believed for that and they died. Why do you think God's going to provide your needs because these people over here, God's not providing for them. He always, the devil's trying to point out to you where he's had his victories to convince you that he's going to get you also. So they went and reported to the king, and the king knew better, knew well enough not to submit to that. So he answered it, our trust is our God. You've never encountered him before. So, but that's his device. So what is hope? Again, in common use, it's wishful thinking. But to the Bible, it's a confident expectation. Learning how to, not just, okay, I'm expecting it, to see it. Dr. Young E. Cho, who founded the great church in Seoul, Korea, which is 750,000 active members, um, he wrote a great book called The Fourth Dimension. It's 20, 30 years old. But it's all about seeing, letting the Holy Spirit show you what's going to happen. Show you. Take the Word of God and begin to picture Picture it happening for you. Not just say it, just picture it with your mind. Your mind's going to meditate on something. And if you don't purposely, I'm getting ahead of myself, if you don't purposely set it on the things of God, it's going to negatively be bent the other direction. Okay. 
So what, let's, let's talk for a few minutes about what is it, what do we put our hope in? Because hope isn't just something that's out there. You have to put your hope in something. It has to be based on something. Well, what does the world do? And this is what I want to, this is really the heart of what I wanted to share with you this morning. The world, that's people that aren't saved, or Christians that are living like the world, only has the things of this world to put their trust and hope in. What are those things? Jobs, material things, possessions, money, friends, family, government. It's a good, this is again one of the purposes of this morning, is for you to do your own inventory. What's your hope? Do you have hope going into 2018? If, if 2017 was a difficult year for you, do you have any hope that 2018 is going to be better? If 2017 was a great year for you, do you have any hope that it's going to not just stay great but be better next year? Do you, are, are you right now, do you have hope? Do you communicate that hope? And what's your hope in? That's what we're going to talk about. So the world, when they try to create hope, all they can look for are the things of this world to put their hope in. So I hope the stock market's going to go higher. I hope my 401k is going to do better. I hope my job is I'm going to get a raise. I hope this. I hope my marriage is going to be better. I hope this. But there's nothing of any eternal substance to plug it into. Jobs, material possessions, even family, government, all these things are subject to change. Think back a year and think of the things in your life that are different today than they were a year ago in this area. I can tell you one thing, you're older. <laughs> Maybe your bank account's going up or down in this year. Situations change. It's one of the things you have to learn as a pastor. People come and go. And I can't base my hope I love you, but I can't base my hope on who's here. Because my hope can't be based on that. Okay. I can tell this is exciting stuff. But it is. It's essential. And here's the problem with putting your hope in these things. They're all subject to the power of the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world. It says that in several places in the Bible. Satan is the god of this world, which means the things of this world are under his power. And if your trust and your hope is in the things of this world, he can give them and he can take them away. And so the things of this world, jobs, money, even family, none of these things are a stable basis to put your hope in. But here's the, here's the problem with that. Unless you purposefully do what we're going to talk about today, that's where we'll tend to drift because that's where the world's drifting. That's what we've been trained to do. And this is why the Bible says that you are transformed in Romans 12 too by the renewing of your mind, learning to think about situations and circumstances the way God thinks about them, not the way the world thinks about them. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, just put it up there. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Gentiles and he's basically doing the same thing. 
He's saying, remember, remember that you once were Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles mean they weren't Jews. They were born outside of Judaism. Who are called uncircumcised by what is called circumcision. So that, that just means the Jews who had a covenant with God through Abraham called you uncircumcision, which means you don't have a covenant with God. Made in the flesh by hands, verse 12. That at one time, this is what I want you to see, at one time you were without Christ. So those that are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, that just means the family of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, and this is where people in the world are, having no hope. Why? Because they're without God in this world. So you and I at one point, whether we knew it or not, we were without hope in this world because we were without God in this world. Without a covenant relationship with God. Israel had a hope because they had a covenant relationship with covenant promises from God. And when, when you became, when, when Christ died on that cross, He cut a new version of that covenant. That's why in the covenant meal we celebrate, which will tonight, Jesus said, this is the blood, my blood in a new covenant for you. He cut a new covenant. Actually, it's the fulfillment. We don't have time to go in that this morning. It's the fulfillment of the covenant God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And so when you are in this world without Christ, you're without hope. But we're not in this world without Christ. Verse 13. But now Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay. So what is this hope? What is this hope based in? Real hope. So the world has no hope because they have no covenant relationship with God through Christ. And where this is heading, obviously, is our hope can only come from God. Our hope can only come from God. Because although we have uncertainty in 2018, as in the prayer when I prayed over this message, God knows 2018. And the God that knows 2018 loves you. And the God that knows 2018 and loves you is the God for whom nothing's impossible. So whatever you're facing, never give up hope. Because if you have God, you always have a basis for hope. But it's not in this world or the circumstances of this world. Real hope is not in the things of this world. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Now Paul's talking about the resurrection here. But I want you to see what Paul says here. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. That's an amazing statement. Paul's, Paul is saying, even if you have Christ and all you're looking at is, I have Christ in this world, you're still to be pitied. <laughs> the Message Bible says you're a sorry lot. <laughs> in other words, the hope we have, even as Christians, is not in this world. Oh, this is going over big, I can tell. All right. Well, we'll keep going. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8. Where do we find this hope? Romans chapter 8. 
And there's a large section in here where he talks about hope. But we don't have the time this morning to go through all that. Just these verses. Romans 8, 24. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. What he's saying there is, is if, if, if you can see something or detect it with your senses, don't put your hope in it. For why does one still hope for what one sees? So it, hope can never be based in things that our senses can detect. So your hope's not based in your car, your hope's not based in your home, at least I got my home, at least I've got this. Your hope, because what is seen, or why does one hope for what he sees? Okay. Verse 25. For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That's one of those words that appears so often in the New Testament that we don't like or we overlook, and that's the word persevere. That's tied with patience, long-suffering. I don't like that word because of what it implies. It implies two things that I automatically don't like. It involves something I've got to put up with that I don't want. I've never, I've, never, I've never combined the thought of perseverance and vacation together. I guess I've got to persevere through this vacation. I've never, I've never tied perseverance with hot fudge sundaes. Oh, I've got to eat another hot fudge sundae. Things we like, I don't care how long you're in it, you feed off of it. So you have to persevere through it. But see, the Apostle Paul learned something. In Romans chapter 5, he talks about learning to glory, glory in perseverance, glory in tribulation. And there's a progression there. He says, I, I, you know, I, I, glory, I, I glory in perseverance because perseverance produces character, steadfastness. Steadfastness produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. Paul had learned, just like you might look at a hot fudge sundae and say, boy, I don't have to persevere these things because I love it. I'm getting something out of it. Paul had renewed his mind through his experiences and through the Word of God to look at tribulation and say, I love it because I grow out of it. I get stronger out of it. Bring it all on because the more you bring on, the stronger I get. It's like the eagle. You've heard the story of an eagle set in a storm. When the wind gets stronger against the eagle, there's a way he can lock his wings. So the very force of the wind, instead of pushing him down, actually elevates him higher. And you can grow to the place as a Christian where the the stronger the tribulation that comes against you, the higher it lifts you and the stronger you are. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. But his hope was not in this world. But it takes perseverance. It takes perseverance. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're learning that hope for us cannot be in things that are seen. And this is one of his secrets we're going to see here. Therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't have time this morning to go back over what the therefore refers to. But it talks about his things he went through. He was left, he he was shipwrecked 
for a night and a day left in the sea. I think it's three times he was beaten the way Jesus, Jesus went through it once. He went through it three times. He was persecuted by his own people, by the, by the, by the, by the Pharisees. Wherever... <laughs> There's an old saying by, a, I think it's an Anglican bishop, that says, I was reading through the book of Acts and began to realize something's wrong here. Because everywhere Paul went, they beat him and persecuted him. Everywhere I go, they serve me tea. Maybe something's wrong. If we're not being persecuted, then the world doesn't, we're not threatening to the world. Therefore, do not lose heart. So Paul talks about the, 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 the things he's gone through, and now he's going to tell us the secret. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So Paul's saying, regardless of what they do to my body, it's not affecting the inner man. My inner man's getting stronger day by day. Your body may be getting weaker, but your inner man should be getting stronger day by day. For our light affliction... <laughs> go back and look at what this light affliction was. <laughs> he sees it as a light affliction, which is but for a moment. How can that be? I mean, this was years he went... But compared to eternity... Whatever you're going through is... In fact, the Bible says your whole life is a, a hand's breadth compared to eternity. So whatever you're going through... See, the, the devil wants you to look at... Oh my goodness, this has been going on for two years now. Oh, is it ever going to end? Yes, it is when you die. <laughs> it's going to end someday. And when you look back over through eternity at that little bitty you went through. It's nothing. And yet we get all worked up about it because that's what the devil wants you to do. Keep it pressed in front of you. This is terrible. You're never going to get out of this. Yes, I am someday. And when I get out of this, you're going to get into it. (laughs) And that's forever. So it's your perspective. That's what we're talking about. There was a time when the church, several generations ago, the church's fo- funk- fo- Back up, John. The church's focus was on heaven. All the songs, worship songs were about, we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. And then we've come through a season when we've kind of laughed at that and said, well, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And now what's happened is we've become so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. We've become so caught up in the things of this world and what's going on in this time we have on earth, we've lost our heavenly perspective. And that's where our hope comes from. It does not come from the world. For this light affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us. Our question is, is whatever you're going through working something good for you? Is it? Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice the comparison. Light, the affliction's light compared to the weightiness of the glory it's earning for him. The time he's going through is just for a moment balanced against the eternity of the reward of the glory it's earning for him. What keeps my focus as a pastor on those days when everything seems to be going wrong? What keeps my focus as a pastor when, when we go through difficult times when, when there are people out there saying nasty things about you? What keeps my focus 
every Sunday is that I'm going to give an account to the Lord for how faithful I was here for you. And that keeps me sober. I don't mean not drinking. I mean serious. Because there's a, there's a reward that comes for being faithful. There's a crown that comes for being faithful. 1 Peter 5 talks about that crown for, for pastors. But there's a crown for your faithfulness. There's a reward for your being faithful. There's a reward for overcoming. We may get into that this year, coming here. In the book of Revelation, in those seven letters that, Paul, that, that Jesus has John write to the church, and virtually every one of them ends by, to him who overcomes, this is what you're going to get. There again, there's an implication. There's something out there we're going to have to overcome. So I talked about perseverance. So the first thing I don't like about perseverance, it means there's things I've got to overcome that I don't like. The second thing is perseverance implies time. I'm going to be in it for a while. is working for us in exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this is how. Verse 18 is how. This is so simple, but this is how. For while we look not at the things that are seen. The things that are seen refers to this world, the things of this world, the things we're tempted to put our hope in, the things the devil parades in front of you and say, this isn't working, this isn't working, this person doesn't like you, this, 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 this. They're all things that are seen, that are detected by our senses. But the things that are not seen, but we, but, so we look not. So Paul is talking about where he intentionally sets his focus. I don't set my focus on the things that can be seen, detected by my senses. Everyone understand what that means? We're not talking about just your eyes. If I can hear... The only trouble you have comes at you through your senses. The devil has to tempt you through your senses. You see that other piece of cheesecake. You see it. What did he do in the garden? He showed her the fruit. And she said, I, it, it, it's, it, it's, I see it's good for eating. It was her senses he appealed to. So we, don't, we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. They're of this world. Don't put your hope in them. It's the things that are not seen that are eternal. Things that are not seen that are eternal. And this is the one I wanted to get to. 1 Peter chapter 13. All right, where is my hope in? First Peter chapter 13. Chapter 13, no, First Peter. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Chapter 1, <laughs> verse 13. We're going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, born again, to a living hope, a hope that is alive, a hope that's alive will work in your life, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So His resurrection from the dead is the basis for our hope. I, we didn't take the time to do that, but back in, in, in Romans, when we talked about 
Paul, when Paul says, said that, um, that uh, uh, if we hope in this life only, we're, as in Christ in this life only, we're to be pitied, he, what he's talking in the context is the resurrection of Christ. And he's talking about there, he says, there's some that are saying that, that, there's, that because there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And he's saying, if we don't have that to hope in, we have no hope. And here is Peter saying the same thing. Who abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So his resurrection from the dead is what our hope is founded in. Verse 4. And what is it? What is our hope? To an inheritance. Just imagine if, 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 you, if you had a rich relative and you're struggling financially this year and, and you, you know that that rich relative is kind of on their last leg of life. It's tempting to put your hope in that inheritance. Of course, we would never do that. I know. We love our brother. Okay. An inheritance that's incorruptible. Satan can't get at it. And undefiled. That does not fade away. So there is an inheritance. You are a child of God. We sing that regularly. And as a child, you have an inheritance from your father. In first, first in, a, in slow down, John. In Ephesians one, one of his prayers there is that God would open the eyes of our understanding that we would see the hope of His calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus and the glory of the inheritance that we have together with all the saints. There's an inheritance you have in heaven. And it's incorruptible. Satan can't get his hands on it. It's undefiled. The IRS can't touch it. It does not fade away. And it's reserved for you. It has your name on it in heaven. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What we don't understand, and I don't have much teaching on this, if you study Paul's writing out, you'll find out that salvation is, yes, when I receive Christ, but there's an ultimate fulfillment of that salvation. Your salvation isn't complete yet. Yes, Christ has completed His work for your salvation, but the ultimate salvation is when this body's redeemed. And you don't have a body that gives you trouble anymore kept for that salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. And the question is, is that what you're rejoicing in? We're, are we rejoicing in the inheritance that's set up for us? Do you go around telling people, I'm an heir. I'm an heir. It changes how you think. I heard this story years ago. I don't know for sure that it's true, but I, from what I understand it is true that John Rockefeller, the first, the first one that made all the, the wealth, and his children, he made sure each of his children to learn the value of hard work. See, a lot of what happens is you've got men or women that through whatever their ingenuity, their diligence, they make a lot of money, and then their next generation comes along and they get it given to them, so they don't know what you had to go through to earn it. This man was wise enough. He did a lot of other things wrong. He was wise enough to realize, I want my children to understand what I had to go through in order to 
get to where I am so that they'll be responsible with the money they're going to inherit. And they all were. And so what he would have each of them do, he would have each of them go to work as a janitor in one of his companies under a different name. So he would punch the clock in and serve as a low janitor under the chief janitor, sanitation engineer. But back then they were janitors. And he would clean the toilets. He would scrub the floors. And the name on his pay card was Joe Smith. So everybody that worked with him knew he was Joe Smith. But he knew. There's coming a day. See, the other workers had no hope. Because in that day and age, to get ahead, you just couldn't do it. So this is my only hope is to get to be chief engine, chief janitor. But he's walking around doing the same thing they're doing, but his image of himself is different. Why? He's wearing the same clothes the others are wearing. He's doing the same work the others are wearing, but his father's not the same father that they have. Because his father owns the company. And he is an heir to that company. So the way he carries himself, the way he deals with a difficult day, he may have a day when people are throwing things at him, when he has to clean up messes that were somebody else's fault, and he could be looking at this mess and, oh, why do I have to do that? But he knows what's going to happen. Someday, I'm not going to be the janitor here. Someday, I'm going to be the owner of this, and I know it because it's already my inheritance. I suggest to you, that you have an inheritance that's infinitely greater and more eternal than the inheritance of, of, of Nelson Rockefeller or other, the, other, any of the other Rockefellers. That you and I have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. An inheritance reserved for us in heaven that is our hope. So while you're cleaning toilets down here, while you're doing the menial stuff of serving God down here, while you're being persecuted, while you're having to go over, over, overcome difficult times, remember... You're a child of the king. Remember who your father is. Remember that your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Remember your father's the creator of all things, and you are a joint heir with Christ. If we go through the faithfulness that he went through. Okay. Where were we? Verse 5. In verse 6, In this greatly, you'd greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith is being more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whatever you're going through right now is a test. It doesn't mean God's create caused it, but it's a test. You're going to find out where your faith is by how you respond to what you're going through. Is your, is your mouth full of praise and thanksgiving? Then your heart's most likely full of faith. Are you complaining and feeling sorry for yourself and blaming other people? Then most likely your heart's not full of faith. How you respond to the trials of life is a, is a, is a thermometer. The first thing that you do when you go into an emergency room or a, a walk-in clinic, they stick a thing... Thumb, th- boy a thermometer this is usually second service thermometer in your mouth because 
your temperature gives them some gauge on what's going on inside of you. And so what's coming out of your mouth is some gauge on what's going on inside of you. And though it's tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Remember Jesus said, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? That was a serious question He was asking. Am I going to find faith on the earth? Verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9. Receiving as the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. You've got to go right on through to the end. Verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In other words, the prophets of the Old Testament, they could see this coming. They didn't understand it, but they could see it coming. Verse 11. Searching what manner what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that was to follow. So these prophets of the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was witnessing to them something was going to come to set them free. There was a deliverer coming. And, and like Isaiah, he saw the sufferings. Verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to them... But to us they were ministering the things that have now been reported to you. So these prophets of the Old Testament, somehow it was revealed to them, this is not for your benefit, this is the be- for the benefit of another generation that's coming, and that's you and me. But to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. What God has brought to us in the church the prophets of age. They had an inkling of it, but they, they knew they weren't going to taste of it yet. But even the angels, they long to look into the grace you and I have been given. They don't understand grace. They marvel at the grace. If you look at, I think it's Ephesians 2, it says God's, God's grace and mercy towards us is to show that in the next age, He's going to show off what His grace and mercy are like by how merciful He was to you and me. Not going to show off how powerful he is. See, God's not trying to demonstrate his power to all the spiritual beings out there. God wants to demonstrate his mercy and his love. You and I are trophies of his grace. We're not trophies of his power. We're we're evidence. I, I do a teaching. And if he, in, in, in renewing the mind course, there, there's a, be a great trial in heaven. And the evidence of how merciful God is, the evidence of how loving God is, is, God, is going to be God taking a life like yours and mine that was messed up and what His grace and mercy did with you. So it's not to prove how good Christians we are, it's to prove how merciful and gracious. So the angels long to look into this. That's what he's saying here. Verse 13. Therefore, this is where I want to get to. This whole message has been to get to this verse. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Because of this, this is what we're to do. Now, it's a little hard to understand that because of our culture. But in those days, the men and the women wore robes. And the robes went down to their feet or their ankles. And so, walking through the streets, that's fine. But if they had to run quickly somewhere what they would do is they would reach down and grab the back hem of that robe and they would pull it up through and they would tuck it into their belt or their sash. So now it would kind of look like pantaloons. 
So now it wasn't dragging on the ground. And they would do that so that they could run without tripping over the robes. And this is the image Peter is using here. Because of this, this is what you need to do. So coming into 2018, this is what we need to do. We need to gird up the loins of our mind, not your robes. We need to take the flowing looseness of our minds that flows with the wind. See, robes will go where the wind goes. Lo- robes will, fly, will move back and forth like this. And that's okay if you're standing still. But if you've got to move somewhere, it, you're going to trip. And, oh, whoa! If your mind is undisciplined, you will trip over it when you have to go fast. And notice, who has to do this? We have to do this. We have to reach in purposefully, intentionally, reach down and take that robe of our mind and gird it up. We've got to begin to do what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take every thought captive to the obedience of of Christ. Say, I can't do that. Then the Bible is a liar. Then God's told you to do something you can't do. He didn't say it's easy. The problem is our minds are like spoiled brats. We just let them run all over the place. So they're in church, they run into good things. Out there in the world, we run into bad things. You are responsible, I am responsible for disciplining my mind to focus on what God tells me to focus on. Philippians 4.8 tells you what to focus on. If anything's good, if anything's virtue, if it's a good report, go on. There's a list of about eight things in there. Think on these things. Take every thought of being... Now, you're not going to master that overnight, but it's not going to happen if you don't start. And we're living in a world where Satan's trying to distract your thoughts, get your attention. And so you cannot do this if you're not in this Word every day. You cannot do this if you're spending more time on television and then you're spending in the Word. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. That doesn't mean don't drink, although that's a good idea, especially New Year's. Be sober. That means be serious. Be serious. And rest your hope. So what you're resting your hope on is an act of your will. It's your choice. And this is the heart of the message today. We're turning the page to a new year filled with all kinds of things that could happen. And if your hope is in the things of this world, then your hope is in the devil's hands. And your hope is critical to your strength and survival in the year that's ahead. I know because if anything, the devil tries to steal my hope for this church by presenting evidence. This isn't working. That's not working. You've done this. That's not working. But see, there's something God built into me. I don't know if it was because I was a lawyer. I just, the more that happens, the more focused I get. Because I know where to focus my attention. I know where to focus my attention. And this is where we're to do. Rest your hope fully, completely, your hope upon the grace that is to be brought at you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts. As, actually, stop there. I want to go over to Hebrews 11, and we'll end with this, I think. Hebrews 11 is all about this. 
Hebrews 10 ends by saying, don't throw away your confidence. He's dealing with, with believers, Jewish believers, that were experienced tremendous persecution and pressure to revert back to the law. And he was, this book is written to, to, to warn them and prepare them. Chapter 2 starts by, don't, you know, you, the word's been spoken to you. Don't ignore it. And now chapter 10 talks about, at the end, talks about don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward attached to it. It ends by saying that, that those that shrink back, he says, my soul takes no pleasure in those who shrink back to destruction. But you're not like that, but you believe to the saving of your souls. And then Hebrews 11 goes into faith, how you do that. And it's filled with examples of men and women who live by faith. And then it kind of builds up to this crescendo in the middle. And we're going to pick up here in verse 13. These all died in faith. That's a great way to begin it. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Wait a minute, Pastor. You're saying they, they didn't work for them. They died in faith, not having received the promises. But the promises we're talking about aren't promises of this earth. Having seen them from afar. See, they could see it. Remember, faith is a positive imagination. Faith is imagining something out there that's good that's going to happen to the point that it begins to affect you. It's imagining it. It's like a dream. Ever wake up from a dream, a good dream? It's like, oh, why did I wake up? Oh, I just, I want to get back to that dream again. And you're just so excited. Or on the other end, you have a nightmare. And you're just so glad you woke up it was a dream. It was real to you because it was in your imagination. You may have awakened and you're sweating and your heart's pumping. Why? You were lying in bed. You weren't running from that monster. But it was in your imagination. Your imagination affects you. Well, the devil knows that. Having seen them from afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Earlier he talks about how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived in tents. Dawned on me one day going through that. A tent has no foundation. A tent is a... You're living in a tent, you know you're, you're doing that because you're not staying in this place for long. We may be here for a year or two, but this is because I can pack everything up and I, I can move it somewhere else because it's just a temporary residence. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we didn't go that far, but Paul refers to his body as a tent. Because it's a, it's a temporary... You know, when you die, you're leaving the tent here. It's your temporary resident. And so they, they, they lived in tents because, it, because they, it, we will see it in a minute. Verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they're seeking a homeland. Verse 15. And truly if they had called to mind the country from which they come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. Stay there a second. That verse is so powerful because what you meditate on what you dream about is where you will be tempted to go. Israel, the first generation that came out of Egypt, they were constantly, whenever anything went wrong, what did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back into the bondage. They couldn't enter into the promised land because their hearts were still seeking because they kept thinking about what they had to eat. They kept talking about what they had to eat. Their minds were focused on what they used to have. And that's representative of, I mean, come out of the world as a Christian. If you keep talking about the world, thinking about the world, keeping your mind set on the world, you will be tempted to go back into it. Verse 16. But now they desire a better, 
that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. He has prepared a city for them. So this is about those, he's saying, these, these heroes of faith, they went through everything they went through because their whole focus, their whole dream, their whole hope was not set on here, but it was set on where they were going when they, Christ came back for them. And now we're going to go, we do have time to go there quickly. We're going to go to uh, verse 39. Now we're going to bring it how it applies to us. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. That was because they didn't, because they, it was not fulfilled yet. God having provided something better for us, that we should not be made perfect apart from them. Chapter 12, verse 1. Understand that when this was written, it wasn't divided in chapters and verses. It was all the same idea. Therefore, because of this, we also... Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who is that? That's all the saints that have gone on before us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Paul, all of those. Pastor Sam. Some of you that have, we've had, over the last few years, we've had some, some men of this church that were really parts of the foundation of this church go on to their reward. Well, they're not just up there having fun. They're looking over this banister of heaven at us. Since we have such a great... So the writer of Hebrews is appealing to us to be encouraged, to have hope because of the ones that are going on before us that are looking back. I look at it this way. It's like a tag team. I was... I used to... In high school, I, I, I used the term loosely, ran track. I was part of the track team. And I became convinced that my role on the track team was somebody has to come in last. And that was my role. And I was good at it. But we had... We had groups that would run these relay races, and and you know, the, and, and especially the the 440, they, or the, the the they would go around, and and as they the first guy would finish, they carry this baton. They would run this this lane where they had two of them running. He'd hold it back, and the next guy would reach out and grab it, make sure he had hold of it, and then the first guy would peel off, and the next guy would run his leg. And these are I look at it that way. These heroes of faith have already gone. They've run their race. They finish their course. But we're one with them. You understand the body of Christ, already part of it's in heaven? And part of it's still here? We're a part of them as much as they're a part of us. So they're looking over the banister of heaven. They've run the leg of their race, and they're looking on. Because what would happen in these races is when the first and the second and the third guy finish, the last guy's running as hard as... Because they put the fastest guy last and the second fastest guy first. The last guy was the fastest guy was to make up any difference, and he's run. That, that's encouraging to us. We must be considered. And and so he's running, he's running, and the other three guys didn't go to the showers and go home and say, "Well, I'll look it up tomorrow and see whether we won or not." They're on the sidelines cheering them on because they're one team. And that's what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is saying here. We're one team with them, and he says, "Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses." Let us lay aside, this is what we, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. The habits in our life that try to steal our hope, that try to wear us down. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think we have verse 2. How? How do you do that? They would teach us if you're running a sprint, 
to focus your eyes on a, on a, on a, on a goal that was past the, the finish line. And you didn't look at, your, look at the runners to the left and right. You focused on that goal and you ran as hard as you could toward, towards that goal. How do, we, how, do, how do we get our hope? How do we stay focused? Looking unto Jesus. And the devil works hard to get you to look at you. Well, I, I can't. Who am I? I'm weak. I don't have enough to finish. You know what that's like? That's like the runner going down the course looking at himself. Saying, you know what? I'm not sure I can do this. What's going to happen? There was a great video I saw a while ago of a, of a, of a, of a sprint. And the guy was in front. And he broke a cardinal rule. He decided to look at his competitor to see where he was. And when he did that, a guy on his left went right past him because he wasn't straining towards the finish line. The hope of that runner coming out of those blocks, he doesn't love the running, he loves finishing first. He loves the, the reward that's on the other end. So he runs with all his might, whatever comes against him, he runs that with all his might because his hope is what happens when he crosses the finish line. And this is what the author of Hebrews has said. And how looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The cross was not fun. He had to go through the cross. But what got him through the cross was a hope set before him. What got him through the cross was a hope set before him. And that hope was you and me in the kingdom of heaven with him. And so set your hope. So as we bring this to a close, again, what's your hope in? If you don't know, then it's most, not, most likely not in what it needs to be in. Because if your hope is in the kingdom of God, if your hope is in Christ coming back for us, if you're, there's so many other scriptures we could have gotten into. If your hope is in anything of this world, it's not going to be enough. Because you've literally put your hope in your enemy's hands to manipulate you through controlling your hope. And he's good at it. He can get it up and then put it down. I've watched that happen with people that are standing for a healing. And they're standing in faith. They're taking the Word and, and, and we've given them scriptures to believe and they're standing in the Word. And then they go to the doctors, they have a test run and they'll come back and say, Oh, Pastor, the test results, the, the scores are going down. And I warn them, be careful. Don't move your hope from God's Word to that report. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Oh, I know. And then they get encouraged, and that's okay. But they begin to put their hope in the doctor's report now and not in the Word of God. And then all of a sudden, the values start going up again, and they're shaken because they've stepped off the Word. And they've stepped into the things of this world for their hope. The other side of that is if your hope is in the kingdom of God, no matter what the devil tries at you, it can't move you off your hope. Because that hope can't be touched because it's not in His realm. So as we end this year and look back and be thankful for the things God's done in our lives, and we begin to look forward to 2018, the very first thing we really need to do is to begin to set our hope, purposely set our hope. And the way we do that is what way Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind, take control of your thoughts. A verse we didn't have time to look at is in Colossians 3.1. Set your mind. If, you have been, if, you have, if you've been born with Christ and you've died with Him and been raised with Him, set your mind on the things above. 
Set your mind. Oh yes, you've got to go to work, got to pay your bills, but set your mind. Don't just let your mind wander around. Don't just let it sit there aimlessly and watch TV. Don't just let it, just don't let it sit there and aimlessly watch the news over and over again. <laughs> Instead, sit there and purposely look at the good news. Focus on the good news of what is to come. And as you do that, the Spirit of God will strengthen you and will enable you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this year and the faithfulness of how you brought us through. And as we look at the uncertainties of the year that's in front of us, ultimately our confidence is that the God who loves us, the God who is our Father, has already gone into this year and has made a way for us. And our faith and our confidence in our You, Father, for with You all things are possible. Help us, Lord, to take the word we've heard this morning and begin to take control of our mind and focus our mind every day on what we need to look at and what we need to pay attention to. Thank You for the Spirit of God on the inside of us to guide us and direct us, to lead us into all truth. You've not left us hopeless. You've not left us helpless. But Your Spirit has come to live and to dwell in us. And for that we give You thanks. So we just declare today that this is a good year that we're facing. We declare today, Father, that this is a year filled with all kinds of hope, for the best is yet to come. Whatever we've gone through, Father, the best is yet to come. And our hope is set and secure on our Lord and Savior who will come back for us. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Before we close...